Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the albumreview.net podcast. I'm Greg Potters. Thanks to all you listeners out there for your interaction and feedback. Your feedback is much appreciated and it helps me to always improve. We are deeper into fall now as we approach October. And as many of you know, here in America, October is Halloween time. It's time for everybody to break out their pumpkins, their orange, their scariest costumes, and binge watch your collection of classic horror movies. I know for me, this is my favorite time to dive deep into my horror movie catalog. Ever since I was a kid, in addition to listening to heavy metal, I loved watching scary movies. And I'm not necessarily impressed anymore with the standard murderer on the loose going after teenagers formula. I like films that really make you think. In this episode, number 42, it's a perfect segue into all things scary. It's been a while since I reviewed a heavy metal album, so today I'll be reviewing Iron Maiden's third studio album, 1982's The Number of the Beast, with song clips included, of course. Remember, you can read my reviews and listen to any of my podcast episodes by going to albumreview.net. These episodes can also be heard wherever podcasts are available. Please follow my podcast on your preferred platform so you can get a regular update on new episodes. Also, if you guys, if you guys would be so kind to pop a quick review or rate the podcast, that really helps the needle move and get the word out there. In addition to listening, you can read over 45 written reviews at albumreview.net and pick up merchandise from your favorite bands. I also have the bookstore where you can pick up music autobiographies in addition to the many books of published authors that I've had here on the show. So go check it out. All right, landing gear is up. We're climbing to 30,000 feet. It's time to get your mind blown with this early 80s heavy classic, Iron Maiden's The Number of the Beast. Apart from Michael Jackson and Bruce Springsteen, heavy metal was really the the music genre that I can remember first listening to before anything else. There was was something about the speed, the the volume, the long hair, and the, the attitude. After a lot of deep thought, I surmised another reason I was drawn to heavy metal was because I can remember being frequently frustrated as a kid and, of course, as a teenager. This is interesting. I think most teenagers go through this, but at 12 and 13 years old, instead of going to the gym or the boxing ring to get my aggressions out, 
I'd retreat to my room, throw on a loud heavy metal album of my choice, bang my head, and within seconds, all the frustrations melted away. It was really, and still is truly therapy for me. Now we all need something to make us feel cozy and comfortable, right? We all need something to make us feel at home. Heavy metal always did that for me. I was never much into death metal as much of the music there focused on Beezlebub, which is not really my thing. However, there was a band from East London called Iron Maiden who had guts. They had balls. And one thing many heavy metal bands don't get enough credit for is Iron Maiden had and still does have talent, significant musical talent. Although many of Maiden's songs and album covers have references to demonism, the band addresses their reasoning for this, which I will touch upon a little bit later on in this podcast. Iron Maiden, originally formed in 1975. So yeah, they're freaking old school, if you ask me. Now, not as old school as Black Sabbath, but Iron Maiden is certainly part of what was known in the early 1980s as the new wave of British heavy metal, which includes bands like Judas Priest, Motorhead, Saxon, Raven, Diamond Head, and even Def Leppard. They were actually a heavy band before uh, a lot of their mid-80s albums broke. These are just to name a few. Jeff Burton, a journalist for a music newspaper in the UK called Sounds, is noted as the person who coined the term new wave of British heavy metal in 1979. He thought this term was a perfect description of the music coming out of the UK in the late 1970s and early 80s that really embodied heavy metal of the 1970s, like UFO, Deep Purple, and Black Sabbath. And it, this fused it with the force of punk music to result in a faster, heavier, more aggressive style of metal. These bands usually wrote songs about mythology, horror, death, or fantasy. In some cases, all combined to one. Released on March 22nd, 1982, the number of the beast is Iron Maiden's third studio album. It was produced by Martin Birch, who was well known for also engineering and producing albums for Deep Purple, Blue Oyster Cult, White Snake, yeah, Rainbow, Fleetwood Mac, and Black Sabbath. I chose to review this album today for a whole host of reasons. Let me dive into what some of those reasons are. First, since the initial time I heard their live double album, Live After Death, Iron Maiden was on my radar, for they have by far the best artwork on every one of their albums, which each cover in the 1980s and early 90s was designed by painter Derek Riggs, featuring the band's mascot, Eddie. Created by Riggs, Eddie is a grisly, Halloween, skeleton-looking figure with flashing red eyes and a mouth that spits smoke and blood. If you've been to a Maiden show, you know Eddie makes a regular appearance and is featured on every album cover. His ghastly face graces millions of Maiden t-shirts, posters, and action figures, among other merchandise. Even if you don't listen to Maiden or know much about them, I'm betting hard money you've seen a picture of Eddie somewhere. Now, beyond the merchandise lies the real reason Maiden still packs massive arenas in an industry largely dominated by hip-hop, country, and pop these days. And what is that? 
incredibly kick-ass live shows. I've seen them three times in concert and cannot express this enough. The Number of the Beast was also the first album lead singer Bruce Dickinson appeared on. Dickinson replaced original singer Paul Diano after the band's second album, 1981's Killers. In my opinion, when you listen to Diano's voice and Bruce's voice, there is no comparison. Diano is a good metal punk singer, but Dickinson is and was a true professionally trained singer-songwriter with a voice that could be low and high, bringing the house down at every arena, every night with his loud screams, even today on tour at age 64. The music on Number of the Beast is fast, heavy, and in your face. Band founder and bass player Steve Harris had a vision. He wanted to be faster than the UK and American bands of the 1970s sing less about hot girls and cars and more about spirits, ghouls, goblins, and well, let's face it, death. For you Dungeons and Dragons haters, before you go running for the hills, no pun intended, Maiden's music is also about war, destruction, resilience, patriotism, and fighting back. Does that bring you all back? Sometimes their imagery gives onlookers the wrong message, for Maiden is swift, mathematical, musically gifted, well-educated, very passionate about their writing and their fans. All band members have been asked countless times about whether their band is a group of devil worshipers, and they always give the same answer each time. It's, it's all about the drama, the lore, the story, and really shock and awe. Throughout history, especially in the UK, society was made up of heavy Christian societal conditions. In the late 1950s and into the 60s, the anti-establishment genre pushed back against a lot of what the Christianity image was about, that people generally believed in things like absolute good and absolute evil. Many heavy metal bands, including Maiden, were adopting satanic imagery to shock people. It may sound far-fetched or more like an excuse, but if you listen to their interviews, you see men with leather and long hair, but they speak intelligently and work harder than every other musician in the industry who markets their craft and plugs their band. The album The Number of the Beast kicks off with Invaders, possibly the weakest track on the album, but still worth a listen.
Steve Harris has stated that the song Invaders was not good enough, noting that it, quote, could have been replaced with something a bit better, only we didn't have anything else to replace it with at the time. We had just enough time to do what we did, and that was it, end quote. Originally, Invaders was a rewrite of an earlier song called Invasion, and the resulting LP, recorded and mixed in just five weeks, is one of metal's all-time milestones. Things pick up a lot with track two, Children of the Damned. Similar to many Metallica songs, Children starts off with an acoustic guitar and includes a melodic, almost ballad-like intro. The song then moves into heavier mode and picks up, bringing the house down as the family of anthems on Number of the Beast really begins. It's important to mention that in 1982, Metallica was still in the infant stages of forming, so many of their biggest influences would include the new wave of British heavy metal bands. On his last radio show for BBC Radio 6, lead singer Bruce Dickinson was on a segment in tribute to the late Ronnie James Dio, the classic metal singer for Black Sabbath, after Ozzy's departure. He was also a part of Rainbow and Dio. On this show, Bruce noted that the Children of the Damned was inspired by Sabbath's song, Children of the Sea. And this was 30 years before smartphones and phone flashlights. So break out your Bic lighters for this next track. The Prisoner has an anthemic chorus that every audience member sings along to during these live shows. The song was inspired by a British TV show with the same name. 
The track begins with a dialogue from the show spoken by British actor Patrick McGowan. We want information. 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 Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> the recording is of McGowan's character known as number six. During one episode of the show, he lands in prison that is disguised as a holiday resort and spends the entire series trying to escape from this mysterious prison community called The Village. You may recognize Patrick McGowan as King Edward I in the 1995 classic film Braveheart, one of my favorites. Iron Maiden had to get permission from McGowan to use the audio clips during their song and McGowan happily obliged. Real quick break to talk about a new addition to the albumreview.net podcast. So what was your craziest concert experience? Can you think of it? Can you remember it? Is there a concert or a rock show that you've attended any time in your life that you just need to share? Well, the albumreview.net podcast is doing a segment called Band Fanatics, where we interview music fans on the podcast as they share their most insane concert experience. So how do you submit your story? Send a message to gpotters at albumreview.net. That's G-P-O-T-T-E-R-S at albumreview.net. Or you can message me directly on Instagram at albumreview.net. Tell us briefly about your crazy concert experience. It can be anything. It just needs to be wild. And we'll get back in touch with you if your story's right for the podcast. Come be a part of the Band Fanatics podcast, part of albumreview.net. Looking forward to hearing from you guys. 22 Acacia Avenue, the second song in the Charlotte the Harlot saga, is a longer track at 638. Charlotte the Harlot is also a song from the band's first album in 1980. The saga includes four tracks, which are, of course, the song Charlotte the Harlot, 22 Acacia Avenue, 
Hooks in You from the No Prayer for the Dying album, and From Here to Eternity from the Fear of the Dark album. From the research I did, the Charlotte the Harlot saga is essentially a group of songs that refer to a rich, oblivious prostitute. The band has noted Charlotte is a fictional character, but loosely based off of someone that they know. 22 Acacia Avenue continues the anthemic narrative of the album. If you're feeling down, depressed and lonely, I know a place where we can go. go, go. 22 Acacia Twenty-two is a concert crowd pleaser for sure. Originally written by 
band member and guitar player Adrian Smith and played by his former band Urchin years earlier, Steve Harris took the song and modified it to fit on the album. It feels like Christmas morning is finally here when you get to the album's title track, The Number of the Beast. Beast was the second single off the album following Run to the Hills, the album's chart-topping hit and arguably the band's most popular song in their catalog. Beast was inspired by a nightmare Steve Harris had after watching the 1978 horror movie Damien, Omen 2. Great horror flick. The track starts with a spoken word passage read by English actor Barry Clayton, which quotes Re Revelation 12, 12, and 13, 18, which is the final book of the New Testament, part of what is otherwise known as the Bible. The band originally asked voiced-over actor and film actor Vincent Price to read the intro, which would have also fit, but eventually they had Clayton read it after Price demanded a fee of 25,000 pounds. Whoa. sends the beast with wrath because he knows the time is short. Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. I left alone My mind was blank Number of the Beast is famous for its very long, high-pitched, and guttural scream by Dickinson at the end of the intro.
Music, an American online music database, described the scream as, quote, the most blood-curdling Dickinson scream on record, end quote. Bruce noted that he conjured up the vocal strength for his yell after being frustrated with producer Martin Birch, who forced him to sing the introduction close to 100 times in the studio to get the right take. Galloping single Run to the Hills charted virtually everywhere in the world at first release, except for in the U.S. However, it would eventually climb the charts, and its music video would be considered an MTV staple. Run to the Hills is a song about the colonization of North America. Essentially, it's about the Europeans coming to what today is the United States and Canada and wiping out almost the entire Native American population. The opening verse is from the perspective of the Cree, an indigenous tribe living primarily in Canada at the time. The song goes on to describe their horror as the European Americans, quote, came across the sea, end quote, bringing the Cree, quote, pain and misery, end quote. written from both the native population and the Europeans' perspectives. The second verse is from the perspective of a U.S. cavalry soldier describing his involvement in the American Indian Wars when Steve Harris writes, quote, chasing the Redskins back to their holes. The third verse is not from the perspective of any particular group and vehemently condemns the effects of American expansionism on the natives. Now, when I first heard the lyrics, quote, raping the women and wasting the men, end quote, I got a little nervous to tell anyone that I was listening to this. 
But I later learned Harris wrote this song telling a story. This wasn't a representation of something the band was set out to accomplish, of course. They really wanted to tell this story. It's also important to call out Steve Harris's bass playing, for Harris could be the fastest bass player in metal. Along with Metallica's Cliff Burton, who may be metal's best. Okay, maybe Geezer Butler. Uh, uh, no, no, it's Steve. I, I always have this problem. Now, the album closes with Hallowed Be Thy Name, an epic signature song. The title comes from the Catholic prayer, Our Father. The song is a first-person account of a condemned man who's about to be executed. He can't understand why he's scared because he's certain his soul is immortal and will carry on after his death. The track would be the foundation and precursor to the song, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which is featured on 1984's Power Slave album. 
The band noted that Hallowed and the whole Beast album took them to a different level for sure. The band played the song live during the Beast on the Road world tour that followed the album's release in 1982. And since then, it's been featured in the set list of every tour with the exception of the 2012 through the 2014 Maiden England world tour. And then during the second stint of the Book of Souls world tour in 2016 and 17. I think it's important to mention that lead singer Bruce Dickinson is a stud in so many different ways. Not only is he 64 years old and still running around the stage like a 24-year-old, but he's singing as loud and with a voice range as he's never aged a day. Bruce also has a love for flying. Airplanes, that is. After getting his pilot's license back in 1991, Bruce started chartering planes for personal use and for friends. He then obtained his commercial pilot's license and was hired by Astrius Airlines, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, achieving a captain rank and later flying goodwill missions around the world, get this, picking up British citizens in troubled countries during times of war. (laughs) Who else does that? Bruce even flew to Afghanistan in 2018 to pick up pilots who were trying to flee. Seriously, who else does that? In 2008, Iron Maiden was in the market for a large airplane to use for their Somewhere Back in Time world tour. The band rented a 747 from an aircraft charter company, Air Atlanta Icelandic. They needed an aircraft that had enough space to transport all the group's stage gear and show materials, as well as the band itself and its crew members. Normally, a Boeing 737 or 757 would do the trick, But because this is one of the biggest tours in the world at the time, extra cargo capacity was required. The band would take this plane they named Ed Force One all around the world, flying to shows in India, Australia, Japan, Europe, Canada, throughout most of South America, and ending the tour in the US. And guess who flew the plane? Surprise, Bruce did. The 2008 Somewhere Back in Time tour was the second highest grossing tour of the year by any British artist, with the band reportedly playing to well over 2 million people worldwide over the span of two years. So, Bruce flew the plane to every gig, landed, did all the work a pilot needs to do to shut the plane down for the night, drives to his hotel in each city, completes sound check, does a full two-hour show, then gets back on the plane and flies the entire band, crew, and their families to the next gig. He is Superman. Oh my God. You tell me, who, who else has done this? Who? Yeah, that's right. Many of the songs from that tour were off the Number of the Beast album. For many would call it their best album. For me, man, I, I, I can't pick one. I think this is up for debate, but... There are so many. I I wanted to review this album, though, as I thought it was a good representation of how amazing Iron Maiden are as musicians. Beast would be the last album with drummer Clive Burr. Current drummer Nico McBrain would join soon after their 1982 tour to record their next album, Peace of Mind. In an interview Clive did in 2011, he noted that he was kicked out after taking a break to mourn the recent death of his father 
and said it had nothing to do with drugs or alcohol abuse. But I found in Bruce Dickinson's 2017 autobiography that Clive was let go because of a personality conflict with Steve Harris, which is somewhat believable after reading that Steve is truly the leader and shot caller of this band. He's the primary songwriter and makes 99% of their decisions. So if you're a Maiden fan like me now, or even if you just remember this from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, You must dig deep into their catalog and don't forget about the number of the beast. Thank you again for listening to the albumreview.net podcast. I hope you enjoyed my review of Iron Maiden's The Number of the Beast. Remember, if you're interested in any of the books or albums that I've discussed in this episode or previous episodes, go to albumreview.net and pick up a copy of your own. Listen to all my podcast album reviews at albumreview.net by clicking on the podcast tab. They can also be heard wherever those podcasts are available. Anywhere, 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 anywhere. Please follow the show on your preferred platform so you can get regular updates on new episodes. And also, if you guys would be so kind as to pop a quick review or rate the podcast, that really helps move the needle and get the word out there. I do want to hear from you. Please email me your feedback, album review requests, or any questions that you might have to gpotters at albumreview.net. That's G-P-O-T-T-E-R-S at albumreview.net. If you'd like to get regular updates on reviews, interviews, products, and music news, go to the homepage and join the mailing list. We're going to be really putting a heavy push in Q4 on product reviews so we can really educate you guys on what's out there if you're an audiophile. Stay tuned for updates on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me at Album Review Net and just keep refreshing your podcast feed. Just read and listen. All right, that's it for me today. We'll have some more episodes coming at you very soon, so get ready. Join the mailing list, albumreview.net. Bye. down by the highway take a trip 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 down